People have so many different reasons for wanting to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip or just want to pick up a new hobby or a skill or just connect with a new culture. I know for me, when I was abroad in Barcelona in college, I'm not going to say that I was fluent in Spanish, but I definitely got to the point where I felt really confident conversing. And when I got home, my dad said to me, Emmy, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. And he was so right. Like I entirely lost it. So Rosetta Stone has been really helpful for me. So if you are in that same boat or you want to learn a new language completely, you want to brush up your skills, whatever it is, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone because they're the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. And it really kind of immerses you in the language that you want to learn. So first of all, they're the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. So they immerse you in many ways. First of all, there's no English translation. So you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which in my experience, I know I'm getting it when I start to think in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. And it's designed for long-term retention. Also, in terms of speech recognition, they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation and it's convenient. So desktop and app options with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. And it's an amazing value. You're getting lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone has to offer for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash comments. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash comments today. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Julie. And welcome back to another episode. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Em. There's a lot going on this Monday morning. I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm just recovering from the Sherry Nicole Young Gravy situation and boom, Kardashians drops a new trailer. Britney Spears drops a 20 minute voice memo on YouTube. Like what is happening? There is so much to get into today. So what we wanted to start with today is the entire Don't Worry Darling saga. And I guess the kind of best way to put it is like, there has been so much drama surrounding this movie really since its inception. And to break down every single element just feels unnecessary at this point. But in the last week, a lot has come out that has seemingly clarified some of the confusion. And so we were thinking about it. We were saying we would love like a 10 minute segment that we could listen to that could really just outline everything that's happened recently and catch us up to speed. So that's what we kind of want to provide to you guys, because there's just a lot of moving parts here. There is a lot of moving parts and there has been this whole time. And I would say that we still don't necessarily have clarification, but I feel almost like with every detail that comes out, we are just one step closer to really figuring out what the hell went on here. I mean, I have to tell you, I don't know if prior to all of this drama, I would have felt so inclined to see the movie. But now after just consuming all of it for so long, I feel like it's my duty. I'm like, well, let me at least see what this shit is about. I think that I probably would have made you see it anyway, because I've been interested from the start, but I obviously get what you mean. I think what's really funny is everybody on Twitter saying like, I don't even know if I necessarily care about the movie anymore. The only thing I really want is a full behind the scenes documentary expose about what went on during the filming of the movie. Right. And that's why I'm saying in the last week or so, we started to get little bits and pieces of that. Obviously, I think the thing that felt the most documentary-esque was the video that Shia LaBeouf posted that Olivia Wilde had allegedly sent to him. Well, let's get into that because to me, that is like, to me, that's almost the missing piece of this whole puzzle. Okay. Let's get into a full breakdown. Are you ready? So ready. (laughs) 
Okay, so Don't Worry Darling will premiere at the Venice Film Festival on September 5th, which is a week from today, and it's scheduled to be released in the U.S. on September 23rd. So we are getting very, very close to this highly anticipated release. And basically, it's a psychological thriller that follows a young couple, played by Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, and their life in the 1950s. So this was initially announced in August 2019, and there was a bidding war among 18 studios to acquire it because this was coming off of Olivia Wilde's directorial debut for Booksmart. So in April 2020, Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine were added to the cast of the film. Then, just a few months later, Harry Styles joins the cast, and he's replacing Shia. So obviously, so much has happened from then until now in the last two years, but Keep that in the back of your mind because we're going to fast forward actually to last week when Olivia Wilde is profiled by Variety. And it's a piece called Olivia Wilde's Ride, directing Don't Worry Darling, making Harry Styles a movie star and being blown the fuck away by Florence Pugh. So this is a piece done by Elizabeth Wagmeister. And in it, Olivia talked about so many things. She spoke about Jason Sudeikis. She clarified some of the rumors about the unequal pay between Florence and Harry. She spoke about being so blown away after seeing Florence in some of her work in 2019. But really what made the most headlines were her comments about Shia LaBeouf, because it was one of the first times that she ever really spoke about it publicly. Previously, it was just the production company that had kind of made a statement. And if you remember, in April 2020, he was announced as the lead. In September 2020, Harry Styles replaced him. And there hadn't been that much conversation other than a lot of rumor swirling. So I'm going to read the direct excerpt from this variety piece, and then we'll go from there. Wilde teamed up with Pew to find their Jack. Wilde liked Styles' work in Dunkirk and had heard from producers on the film that the musician was, quote, an absolute dream and went above and beyond in terms of being prepared. Pew was also enthusiastic about the idea of Styles joining the film, Wilde says, but he was touring and unavailable. Eventually, Shia LaBeouf landed the part. But in 2020, as production was just starting, Wilde made the decision to fire LaBeouf. The studio cited a scheduling conflict. Now, for the first time, Wilde speaks about the situation. Quote, I say this as someone who is such an admirer of his work. His process was not conducive to the ethos that I demand in my productions. He is a process that, in some ways, seems to require a combative energy, and I don't personally believe that is conducive to the best performances. I believe that creating a safe, trusting environment is the best way to get people to do their best work. Ultimately, my responsibility is to the production and to the cast to protect them. That was my job. A few months after LaBeouf's exit from Don't Worry Darling, his ex-girlfriend and Honey Boy co-star, FKA Twigs, sued him for sexual battery. The lawsuit goes to trial in April. The next month, LaBeouf split from his agency, CAA, and entered an inpatient facility. Quote, a lot came to light after this happened that really troubled me in terms of his behavior, Wilde says. I find myself just really wishing him health and evolution because I believe in restorative justice. But for our film, what we really needed was an energy that was incredibly supportive. Particularly with a movie like this, I knew that I was going to be asking Florence to be in very vulnerable situations, and my priority was making her feel safe and making her feel supported. Okay, so this Variety interview comes out on Wednesday, and before the story was published, Variety had went out to Shia LaBeouf and his team asking for a response, and they declined to comment. The story then comes out on Wednesday, and on Thursday, Shia LaBeouf sends an email to Variety. And in the email, he's kind of clarifying his side of the story and opposing some of the things that she said in her interview. So one of the things is he says he was not fired from the film, as she claims, and he actually quit on August 17th, 2020. And he sends screenshots of text messages from August 2020 between him and Olivia. He also sends an email that he had sent to Olivia that day, right after the piece had been published, kind of re-explaining his version of what happens. 
But the thing that really got the most press was a video he sent them, which was apparently from August 18th, 2020. So the day after, according to him, he quit the film. This was a video that Olivia sent him. We'll put the link in the description, but I want to read you the transcript in case you didn't see it. So it's a selfie video of her that she apparently sent to Shia saying, I feel like I'm not ready to give up on this yet. And I too am heartbroken and I want to figure this out. You know, I think this might be a bit of a wake up call for Miss Flo, meaning Florence. And I want to know if you're open to giving this a shot with me, with us, if she really commits, if she really puts her mind and heart into it at this point, And if you guys can make peace and I respect your point of view, I respect hers, but if you guys can do it, what do you think? Is there hope? Will you let me know? So this kind of threw a wrench in all of this because Olivia just does this kind of mic drop piece with Variety explaining how she had to remove Shia from the project because his working style was not conducive to the environment she was trying to create. And she kind of framed it as though, you know, she was trying to partially protect Florence because she knows that through this role, Florence is going to have to be very vulnerable. So then when Shia comes out with this, it, it kind of really puts her story into question because it seems to be pretty damning evidence. And I think the thing we have to focus on here is like, it, it's not really so much about Shia versus Olivia. I don't think that that's the discourse people are very interested in. It's more so since the inception of this film, there has been rumor drama between Florence and Olivia. And this one piece of video evidence, which kind of contradicts her story, may provide a little bit more clarity there. Yeah, I mean, I would say that I would say that the assumption this entire time has been that the issue between Florence and Olivia is about Harry to say that, like, we all know that there was obviously an issue. I know there was a lot of speculation about her not posting. I think that at this point in the discussion, even prior to this video coming out, we were able to conclude that there must have been an issue between Olivia and Florence. And what this video does is that it not only confirms that almost definitively, it's basically confirmed that the entire time of filming that there's been an issue because this, you know, was the very, very beginning of the project, kind of before Harry even joined. This is just when Shia quit. And already in this video, Olivia is referring to Florence Pugh as Miss Flo. And on top of that, I think that we're now able to see that it probably was the lack of protection that Olivia claimed in her interview to have taken place that actually probably caused the rift there. And then my guess is that things kind of spiraled after that and continued once Harry was on the project and once their relationship started to form. Yeah. I mean, if we backtrack for a second to February, 2021, that was when they had wrapped up filming and Florence posted about it on her Instagram. And in the caption, she didn't directly call out Olivia, not that she called out anyone by name, but that was one of the first quote, concrete pieces of social media evidence that I guess people were pointing to in thinking that maybe there was some legitimacy to these rumors about Olivia and Florence not getting along so well. So from February 2021 until now, there have been various teasers for the movie and Florence has just been posting seemingly less for this film than she does for other projects. So that was another thing that people were kind of pointing to in terms of some of the legitimacy to the rumors of her and Olivia not getting along. And then most recently, after the Olivia Wilde's variety piece comes out, it's announced that Florence will be doing really limited press for the movie and really only going to be doing press at the Venice Film Festival, which she does have a lot of other projects that she's working on. But it, it just felt like specifically with this video coming out that Shia sent to Variety of like, when there's smoke, there's fire in terms of something is factually not 100% with these two. And that was the thing this whole time. It was never, 
or for the past couple of months, it hasn't been a matter of if something was off. It was just a matter of what it is. And I personally think that like, I think there's a lot of different layers to it. And there's been so many theories swirling around. And I know that, you know, a lot of people thought that maybe Florence was on Jason Sudeikis' side in the divorce because she was dating Zach Braff at the time. And Zach Braff and Jason Sudeikis are very good friends and happened to work on uh, an episode of Ted Lasso together that Zach Braff directed. I think that maybe there was favoritism when the reports of the unequal pay came out. People thought maybe it was because of that. And then, you know, of course, Olivia Wilde cleared up that and said that it wasn't true. But there has definitely been multiple things circulating. And I think that there's probably more than one thing that has to do with what went on during this movie. But yeah, I mean, I think that all that the Shia LaBeouf stuff really did was give us a little bit more insight into what exactly it is. But I don't think that anybody was surprised to hear that there is confirmation of issues. I think what people are so drawn to is the fact that getting a video like this, honestly, regardless of context, just feels kind of rare. You know, it's basically Olivia Wilde recording a selfie video while in a car talking to one of the lead actors about some of the issues, referencing potential issues with the other lead in a a kind of subliminal way and throughout the process, giving us a little bit more insight. You don't typically get that. I mean, if anything, I feel like we would get statements from a source, but this just felt like the most insider knowledge that we had gotten throughout this entire saga. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is kind of unheard of to get this level of insight. And I think that something that's been happening throughout this film is that, you know, we've been getting this person worked on the set and said this, this person's involved in this and said this. So there has been little leaks of drama, but it's been um, very minimal information. It's been very hard to confirm what's true. And this was something that we got as a piece of insight into what's been going on straight from Olivia's mouth, released from somebody that is no longer associated with the film. Like this was really crazy insight to be getting. And I think what's so crazy on top of all of that is that there's so much discourse online about Olivia Wilde in general, that's been kind of a lot to follow. And so I I personally, and I know you don't either take zero enjoyment in this fact, but this was something that the internet sleuths were kind of looking for, and they really ran with this. They really took their opportunity to jump all over this. They've, you know, it's kind of like the internet, and I, it's wrong to say, and it's wrong that it is the case, but the internet's been looking for something like this to really attach themselves to for a little while there. So Mother's Day is coming up, and I know sometimes it can be difficult figuring out what to get your mom, because Realistically, no gift is going to do justice for how much you love and appreciate her, but I'm sure you've done the classic, you know, bathrobe, candle, sweaters, gift cards. If you're looking to mix it up, I want to tell you about Aura Frames. So they were named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter, and it's just the kind of gift that is guaranteed to bring joy because realistically, there's nothing our parents love more than seeing us. So for them to be able to see more of us, even if you don't live close by, like that is probably the best gift you could give a parent. They're Wi-Fi connected. They come with unlimited storage. So you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. And it's easy to set up. It takes about two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. We have one in my kitchen. And every time my dad comes down for breakfast, like it just makes him so happy. There's pictures of me, pictures of me and my parents when I was little, pictures of my grandparents. Like I think as a parent, you never get sick of that. And it's just the kind of gift I know she will love. 
Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code CBC at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So the weather is finally getting a little warmer. And one of the most fun parts about the season changing is kind of the wardrobe revamp that comes along with that. And if you're looking to update your wardrobe without spending a fortune, I want to introduce you to Quince because I really think that they do quality essentials kind of better than anyone I found. And I've told you guys about them before, but specifically as the weather is getting warmer, their linen dresses, like such an easy throw on, so comfortable, such good quality. To me, if you put on a linen dress with a pair of white sneakers, a little cardigan over your shoulders, to me, that is such a chic look. Also, their washable silk blouses. They are so comfortable, but you look so put together. They have great like scoop neck t-shirts, just comfortable, easy staples. Like that is what I like about them. I think that you can really build just a quality wardrobe collection with their essentials. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes those savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Get warm rather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com CBC for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash CBC. And the question you also have to ask is, is Olivia Wilde now going to respond to this? You know, with let's say, a further clarification as to why her version of events was actually truthful, because that's when it gets really messy. That will be interesting because, again, this is not a situation, like you said, where everyone's like rushing to take Shia LaBeouf's side. Like, that's not what's happening here. And it's certainly not a situation where Shia LaBeouf said, no, that's actually not the case. And everyone was quick to believe him. This is a situation where Olivia was on video completely contradicting herself. And so you're right. It will be really interesting to see what she says and if she can kind of get herself out of the situation because it's not about Shia. It's so much more about the situation between Olivia and Florence and what that video implied about their working relationship and the things that Olivia has said about protecting Florence. And so... Listen, something that happens in a situation like this, when a video comes out that so clearly contradicts the things that you've said, or one specific thing and one specific important detail that you've said, is that people are going to start to call other stuff that you've said into question. And, And I think that's something with this press tour, more than I've seen with any other movie in a while, I think, is that like, there's been a lot of clarifications happening. There's been a lot of things that Olivia's kind of had to explain and answer and Some things that have not been answered at all, some things that have been vaguely answered, some things that have been clarified. And what happens with a situation like this when you're kind of caught in a lie is that it calls everything else a little bit into question in the eyes of fans and in the eyes of the internet. Right. And that's why I'm saying the next week or so is going to be very, very interesting because let's not forget, this all happened the week of the premiere. I mean, this is premiering at the Venice Film Festival on Monday. We are seven days out. So will she respond to Shia's pretty damning testimony in these next seven days? Like, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like. My bigger question is, what does it look like for Florence Pugh to be at the Venice Film Festival? What does it look like for Olivia and Florence to be interacting? What does it look like for Florence and Harry to be interacting? Because there's very little information about the relationship there. There's a lot to pay attention to here. There really is. And this is 
I wouldn't say it's only the beginning. I would say it's only the middle. Other than Chris Pine, who has somehow been really able to kind of exist above any of the discourse around the show, I think that in the eyes of the public at the current moment, Florence has kind of come out on top, don't you think? Well, I think the relationship between Harry and Olivia can't be ignored here, especially when it comes to the perception of the fans. Keeping in mind, of course, that the relationship between Harry and Olivia has not been like the most fan-supported relationship in history. Like we've seen this continue to play out. And I think in terms of just public perception alone and the people that are really keeping tabs on this movie, I almost feel like, and I'm not saying that this is fair in any way, shape or form, because I personally do not have any interest in taking away from Harry's artistic ability. I don't have any interest in taking away from Olivia's at all. But I think just in the eyes of the public, it's almost viewed as like, Harry and Olivia are doing this while being in a relationship and a lot of drama is stemming from that, whereas Florence is just here to do her job. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's not the core thing. It's not the sole thing, but I definitely think it's a fair element to mention when discussing, you know, the behind the scenes of this movie as a whole. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think that anybody at the start of this movie expected it to snowball into what it has. No. And again, this is completely just a theory. Who knows if there's any legitimacy to this, but the idea of Zach Braff and Jason Sudeikis being really close friends, obviously Florence and Zach were dating at the time of the start of the movie, right when Jason and Olivia broke up and Olivia and Harry started dating. It's just like for no reason other than the salaciousness of it. To me, that's an interesting thing to think about. Like, cause in a very weird way, even though this is so A-list and in so many ways so unrelatable, like the drama that goes on between A-list actors on a Warner Brothers production set, it's very real world when you actually think about it. Yeah, I mean, all of the tweets are like, I would do anything to be in the group chat. That's the movie group chat that Olivia and Harry aren't in. Right, or at the time when Florence and Zach were dating and let's say she gets home from set and is on FaceTime with him, like, Hearing it from her perspective, knowing that he's close friends with Jason Sudeikis, it's it's so much more gossipy and it totally takes away from like the professionalism, the artistic ability. And I'm very much aware of that. But just for one second to engage in the salaciousness of it, that's like, uh, to me, more of a relatable thing to kind of conceptualize. Here's my question. At what point does Harry have to start answering questions about this? Because it's been entirely radio silence from him. Right. And we're a little bit more than three weeks out from the U.S. premiere of this. So these next three weeks in terms of what press will or will not be done, considering all these other factors, is like a fucking fascinating case study. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara, which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the Viral Turquoise Tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. 
And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. Apartments.com believes a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Okay, majorly switching gears here. It is absolutely imperative that we talk about Sherry Nicole and Young Gravy at the VMAs last night. What a fucking hilarious sentence. Like, you guys, you could not write this. Okay, so quick 30 seconds of background, and then I cannot wait to discuss this. Really brief refresher. Sherry Nicole, Addison Ray's mom, 42 years old, Young Gravy, aspiring rapper and musician, 26 years old. As we know, earlier this year, Sherry Nicole and her husband, Monty Lopez, split. Monty Lopez is Addison Ray's dad. And there's been a lot of drama online, specifically between Monty and Young Gravy. Young Gravy has been hitting on Sherry. He's a, quote, self-proclaimed MILF lover, and he has crowned her, quote, queen of the MILFs. This is totally real. And Monty has really expressed an interest to publicly fight Young Gravy in a televised boxing match. So last night, as Young Gravy's kind of real fuck you to Monty, he brings Sherry Nicole, Addison's mom, as his date to the VMAs. They walk the red carpet together. They kiss on the red carpet. They're kissing on camera during the show. I mean, it was the most bizarre display of events you've ever seen. And then the cherry on top, Monty Lopez, remember Addison's father, posts a shirtless mirror selfie saying, unbothered, thank you at Young Gravy for taking the leftovers. I would rather spend time with my daughter and two grandkids that Sherry Nicole made me abandon as a child in order to be with her. Never let a woman make you choose between her and or your blood child. Hashtag tired of living lies. Basically saying that before him and Sherry got together, he had a daughter who now has children, meaning his grandchildren. So while they were at the VMAs, he apparently was with his child. (laughs) Uh, By the way, that like other child plotline really made this whole thing take a turn. Like that was so confusing. Like imagine just seeing Young Gravy and Sherry Nicole, you're already confused And then someone sends you Monty Lopez's story because you didn't even want to go out of your way to check because he just like skeeves you out that much. So you have to see it against your will. And then there's like a whole other separate plot line that's brought into this. I just cannot stop thinking about this from Addison's POV. 
Like if I am her, I am livid with my parents because for the last however many months, we've been talking about Monty, who's just objectively sleazy. This guy's trying to cling on to any bit of fame or relevance that he can from his daughter, Ashton, who made all the money, made the fame, made the fortune. And he's kind of like a side plot who's really riding the wave. And it always seemed that Sherry was the supportive mother that helped her to stay grounded amidst all of the fame. And then young Gravy starts hitting on Sherry and Sherry fully leans into it, so much committing to the bit that she's now walking the red carpet at the VMAs, making out with young Gravy. Like, and Addison's not even there. That's the irony of this entire thing. Addison, viral TikTok star, who's the only reason her parents are even known figures, is nowhere to be found because she's probably in Israel with her boyfriend, Omer, and her parents are like making a whole spectacle. It's like, are you guys fucking kidding me? You had one job and it was just to like exist. My heart breaks for Addison. Like it truly, truly breaks for her. This is, it's just one thing after another and for it to be both parents, it's just such a disappointing situation. And the thing here is that this is so clearly a PR move and it's really unfortunate to be Addison and be the person in the spotlight, be the person that brought your parents to LA Forget about your dad just being a sleazeball. That is just so unfortunate to begin with. But now your mom is also doing things to kind of enhance her own PR and play into these PR games. And it's embarrassing for you as a kid. It just, it's it's a crazy circumstance. And watching that go down on my screen, I was obviously like everybody else looking at that just jaw dropped, cannot get enough of it. But like, God, I feel for Addison. No, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. I was losing my mind over that footage. When I saw that MTV posted that they were walking the red carpet together, doing interviews together, and then kissing in the middle of the red carpet interview, like if you've been following this on TikTok, that took your breath away. But once you get over the initial shock, it's like, holy shit, this is so sad for Addison. Because It's unfortunate to say, because honestly, I really can separate her from her parents, but I think that if you're her, you've worked so hard to try to establish some credibility for yourself and not just be seen as this viral TikToker. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think that it you know, was a little bit of an obstacle for people taking her seriously. And so she's trying to venture into music and venture into acting and kind of stray away from this younger persona that she had exuded a lot on TikTok because when she started, she was just a young girl living in Louisiana. And now just as you're starting to break into that new era of your career, you have your parents like really fucking ringing this shit for all it's worth. And it's so, it's so embarrassing. You know what I can't stop thinking about? Like, there are probably more people that do not know who Addison Ray, Sherry Nicole, Monty Lopez, and Young Gravy are than do know who they are. Like, here we are talking about this, and there are more people than not that have no idea who one single player involved in this is. I know, but in terms of the VMAs last night, this was the only thing people were DMing us about. Like, objectively, much larger things happen. Jack Harlow opens the show with Fergie. Nicki Minaj wins the Video Vanguard Award. Taylor Swift wins Video of the Year for All Too Well and in her speech announces her next album dropping in October. Like, those are objectively huge things that actually matter in the music industry. Yet everyone is so focused on Young Gravy and Sherry Nicole because it just feels like the commitment to the bit has gone so far. I feel like something that TikTok does is that like it scratches a very particular itch in our brain, which is like that need for drama and just like such salacious bottom of the barrel stuff that like celebrities are too calculated to give us anymore. But 
these TikTok celebrities or people who are gaining fame on TikTok and are just actively trying to gain as much clout as possible to push themselves forward are giving us all of that. And you and I were talking about this yesterday where we were saying like, it's so interesting the way that these TikTokers have really become celebrities. And is this the future of what celebrity is? And it's like, I don't know if this is the future because I don't know if you can replace actual talent with what TikTok has. And not to say that Young Gravy's not talented. He clearly is. He got signed at a very young age. He's had the song of the summer, in my opinion. But like in general, overall, TikTokers in that way. I don't know if you can replace what we've known celebrity to be with them. But in terms of our interest in this point in time, they give us something that we are really craving and clearly not getting elsewhere. I know. And it's such an interesting concept that's kind of ever-changing because when it comes to traditional celebrities and the definition of celebrity is constantly evolving. So what we define as a celebrity now, I'm sure will be different in a few years. But I think your quote, traditional celebrities, that esteem still exists and there's a certain role that they play in the pop culture landscape. But I think when it comes to the genre of fame that kind of stems from TikTokers and more of people that started from an online presence, the difference in terms of why we are at times more interested is because they've involved us through the entire process. Like <laughs> Young Gravy has been responding to videos that Monty Lopez has been posting. So we feel that we've been so involved in every step leading up to this PR move. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And the thing here is that like, I don't want my traditional celebrities to act in this way. I love that there's this separation and I love being able to examine both and I love being able to look at the differences. And I love the fact that I can care about this salacious, trivial, nothing bottom of the barrel drama and still care about other stuff as equally as much. It's just, I don't know, to me, it's just so fascinating. I feel like what used to happen is when you were a celebrity and you were starting to get big online, there was almost something that switched where you were like, okay, I can't act like an internet celebrity anymore. I just have to start acting like a real celebrity. Think about Shawn Mendes and MadCon. Like no one even remembers that that was a thing. Shawn Mendes was an internet celebrity. And then there was this switch. And not to say that he was as salacious as what we're seeing, but there is definitely the internet-y side of him. And there was a very obvious switch that took place when he started to get really big, where it was like, okay, it's time to get it together and not really play into that side of the internet anymore. And I feel like because the way that we've made celebrities, you can almost be as big as an internet celebrity as you can be as a regular celebrity. People are cashing in on the value and the quickness and the ease of just playing off all of the PR moves. And it's, I don't know if you necessarily get as much longevity out of that. I don't know if it necessarily works as well, but if you are somebody who it's like, I'm never going to be a major celebrity. I'm never going to be as big as Beyonce, as Rihanna, as Bieber. Why not take this avenue and at least get a really good shot at a real 15 minutes or more of just the absolute peak amount of fame that I'm going to get. Right, exactly. Like if longevity and a real respect for your craft are the two things you desire the most, no, this is not the way to go about it. But if you're really looking for that 15 minutes and if you are looking to go to the VMAs when there is talent like Eminem, Snoop Dogg, Nicki Minaj, Taylor Swift, some of the greatest artists in the entire world on that stage, <laughs> but you still wanna be one of the most talked about moments, yeah, this is kind of the way to do it. But you know what's funny now that I'm thinking about this more? It's like Young Gravy would have been there anyway. And Young Gravy would have like 
been a very spoken about person throughout the summer because of his song alone. And what I find fascinating is that you look at somebody like Lil Nas X, who is supremely talented and uses the internet really well. And there is always that conversation of, I wonder if after Old Town Road dropped, if Lil Nas X wasn't as good at the internet as he is, would his career have continued on the trajectory that it did? Thank God that it did, but it is a conversation to be had because it allowed him to maintain relevancy after a one hit wonder that, you know, propelled him into what the next phase of his music is. To me, there's also that conversation of take someone like Young Gravy, for example, if you're an artist and you have a hit out like Betty that's gone viral on the internet in that way, do you almost need to follow the Lil Nas X playbook of maintaining relevancy by understanding the internet and understanding culture in order to keep your name in the media until you can continue on with your project? It's just, it's really interesting to discuss the different avenues of celebrity because the ways to get famous and stay famous are so much more vast and so much different than they were previously. I mean, it's one of my favorite conversations in the entire world. But if we want to take Young Gravy as the example for a second, someone who does have legitimate talent, but also really learned how to lean into the internet and TikTok and connect with the audience in a way where it feels like he's, quote, in on the joke. I think what it comes down to is partially the likability and striking that right balance of like, do you take yourself too seriously or do you take yourself just seriously enough where this can actually pass as a bit and it can only be a blip in your career? Or does this kind of PR stunt take over what would otherwise potentially be a successful music career? And I think, you know, totally different than Little Nas X because clearly he's in another level of, of fame and success now. But it's true. It's an interesting pattern in terms of like, how do you balance that? Balance is really, really difficult really difficult in this day and age, especially with the internet and Twitter. And I said this to you yesterday, where I think that one of the internet's biggest problems is that they've decided that cringe is a cancelable offense. And so to walk that very thin line of playing into the game and giving the people what they want, but not crossing over it to a way where you're like, oh, you're doing too much. It's like, God, it's hard to win. It's really, really hard to win. And I don't even necessarily know if that is a matter of just being really, really good at the internet. A lot of the time it is, but I don't even know if you could have the person who's the best at the internet and all of a sudden you're going to have a day where you just slightly do something that the internet deems a little bit cringy or worth talking about. And you could have the worst day of your life on there. I know. And I guess that's a risk that you take when stepping into the public sphere. I, I mean, personally to me, I think it is absolutely terrifying. But what's interesting is that it's only become more and more terrifying. Every, like every single day, I think it becomes crazier and more scary to become famous. And yet every single day, people are trying harder and harder to get there. I know. I guess I'm, I'm really thinking about it through the lens of TikTokers, which is only one sect of like internet celebrity. Maybe I'm just thinking about it because in a lot of ways, I, I find it to be so intimate since it's video content solely. But I, I guess, you know, people hit this point where they're however well-known. And always after that, it seems to be this period of time of like admission of serious emotional distress that comes from just a, a bevy of factors. It's something that will definitely be dissected in years to come. Absolutely. Have you ever noticed how celebrities have brighter, whiter looking eyes? Their makeup artists have a little secret in their kit. Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute. 
literally happens right before your eyes to help them look brighter, whiter, and more awake for up to eight hours. No wonder it's so loved by influencers, celebrities, and makeup artists, and has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. Lumify is also the number one eye doctor recommended redness reliever eye drop, and it's FDA approved. No bleach, no dyes, plus it's made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lomb. So whether you're on set, on a date, or running on just a few hours of sleep, you can have eyes that look brighter and whiter with Lumify eye drops. When you try it, you'll see that it's what your eyes have been looking for. Check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliai was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Okay, again, really switching gears. We are just all over the place this episode. But one of the most exciting things that happened in this last week is Britney Spears released her first song in six years, her duet with Elton John called Hold Me Closer. It immediately topped iTunes charts in the US and dozens of countries. And nothing to say other than it is a banger. It's so good to see her back and doing it on her own terms. So good. And to do it with Elton John, what an iconic way to re-enter. I really hope that we see more from her after this. And I think that something that you are going to see is her re-falling in love with music because so much of her trauma and so much of the abuse that she faced was the music being against her will and performing being against her will. And it took something that she loved and the joy that she had in doing it that the thing that made her famous thing she fell in love with the first place and turned it into something terrible for her. And so I hope that you now see her navigate refinding that and also refinding it with artists and people that are a hundred percent in her corner and are there to help her as Elton John clearly is. Totally. And also hopefully with a team that's not only supportive of her work, but also of her independence in doing so, which kind of on a separate note on Sunday, I'm sure you guys have seen this by now, but she released a 22 minute audio clip on YouTube talking about the conservatorship and talking more about the abuse that she suffered as a result of it. It's now been deleted, but you can still find it online. We can put the link in the description. And one of the things she spoke about was how she gets all of these offers to kind of do a tell-all interview. I'm going to read this direct quote. I get nothing out of sharing all of this. I have offers to do interviews with Oprah and so many people for lots and lots of money, but it's insane. I don't want any of it. For me, it's beyond a sit down proper interview. They literally killed me. They threw me away. How the fuck did they get away with it? How is there a God? Is there a God? I'm sharing this because I want people to know I'm only human. I do feel victimized after these experiences. And how can I mend this if I don't talk about it? I honestly felt when listening to the recording that it was the most similar to that testimony she gave to the judge back in June of 2021 when she had that court hearing. And it was different, obviously, but a lot of what she said was very similar to what she said then about really just exposing the extent to which she felt she was under abuse by her dad and by these other 
figures that were in power. And in it, in this one specifically, she called out her mom and her sister and specifically her mom and saying, you know, I actually blame my mom now more than I blame my dad because I felt that she could have done more to get me the representation. And she kind of declined when she would get a call. And if you saw her mom, Lynn Spears, then did a follow-up post saying, Brittany, I've been trying to reach out to you. This is something that we need to talk about one-on-one in private. But it was a pretty jarring clip. And keep in mind, this is all coming off of the report that we got months ago saying that she's apparently doing a $15 million book deal to share kind of all about her story. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she chooses to um, really tell her story, whether it's only the book, whether she does one of these interviews. And I think the thing here is that this isn't a situation where, or at least as it appears, this isn't a situation where people are like begging her and offering her all this money to talk about something that she doesn't want to talk about. This is something that she clearly does want people to be aware of. And she wants the opportunity to tell her story. She just wants to tell it in the right way. And I think that when she's ready, I think it'll be such an aid for her to be able to do so, not only to just explain everything, but also explain it on her own terms and explain it in a very organized way. And it'll help her process that. But that's the other thing here is that as she's speaking and as she's recording these videos, she's probably going through a range of emotions because there's probably certain aspects of this that she may be blocked out or that she wasn't, you know, fully aware of how abusive and problematic they were at the time. And so this is going to be a really long process for Brittany. And I think that it will be a very long time until the picture that she's painted and what we understand of the situation fully comes to light. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that it's both cathartic and probably simultaneously a little bit triggering to relive these experiences that you're right, were her every day. Even if in the moment she realized this wasn't normal, it was her norm. And so now that she has been able to kind of break free from it, there's a whole lot of processing that takes place. And I, I just can't imagine what that must be to her. I mean, I got to tell you though, I had such chills listening to Hold Me Closer. Aside from the fact that the song just objectively was excellent and it's Britney Spears and Elton John, two of the most talented artists of our generation and of all time, it, it, to me, it was so symbolic of like, hopefully what this new era of Britney's life is going to be, which is one that is entirely defined by her independence and her autonomy. Oh my God, absolutely. And I mean, hearing her voice, like that's your childhood. It like brings you back no matter how current the song is, no matter who she's singing with, just to hear Britney Spears sing, you like feel like you're a kid again. You really do feel like you're a kid again. That's exactly what it was for me. There was so much nostalgia rushing through me in addition to just like so much pride and, and gratitude for this woman that I derived so much joy in my childhood from. Should we release the video of you singing? Oops, I did it again as a kid. Oh my God. That was my shit. Let me tell you, that was my shit. Was it not? It was. <laughs> I love when we pretend like we were like childhood friends. That's like my favorite role play that we do. Like, I'm like, we didn't meet in college. We like went to preschool together. I feel like we did. I, honestly, like sometimes I forget that we did it. I get really thrown off when I go through old pictures and you're not in them. I'm like, where's the ones from Emma when we went on vacation? My mom's like, you met in college. You did not know Emma before this. I know. We've totally mentally rewrote history, you know? I think it's because your dad's my best friend. <laughs> I think so, too. 
<laughs> I think so too. <laughs> oh, God, right? Funny. No, that's like 100% why. It's just so funny. It is so funny. Anyway, I, I think what we decided to do is that tomorrow's episode, so we're releasing this today and then tomorrow's episode will be the Kardashian bonus show. And in it, we'll talk about Scott and Kimberly Stewart, the Kardashians trailer, Chris's comment about Scott, other things as well. And maybe we'll even do an episode of Chloe and Lamar to continue with our recap, but we'll let this episode exist as it is. And then tomorrow we can talk all things Kardashian uninterrupted for the people that care and the people that don't don't have to listen. I can't wait for that. Yeah, me, me too. Okay, well, we love you guys. Thank you for listening and for letting us do this. 